Hello, and welcome to the Area 831 podcast. I'm your host, Michael Gaither. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Emily Stansel. Before we get into today's episode, please take a moment to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us at Area 831 Podcast. That's where you'll be able to check out some of the behind-the-scenes content, as well as find out when our next episode will be dropping. It's also where we can see your feedback about the show. Tell us what you think. Let us know if there's someone you think we should be talking to. Uh, Today, we're talking to Jeremy Lansing, a licensed therapist, and we're going to be talking about Depression Awareness Month. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Michael. Hi, everyone. Really good to have you, and thank you for your time. It's probably a busy month for you. Uh, Before we start, can you talk about your background a little bit and and whom you work for? Yeah, sure. So I'm currently half-time with the County of Santa Cruz. I work as a therapist uh, for the Behavioral Health Department, uh, serving adults with persistent and severe mental illness. And I also have a private practice part-time. I've done many other things that led me to this point, but this is what I'm doing now. And what what led you to this right now, since you mentioned it? Yeah, well, I, mean, I used to be a teacher, so I was a preschool teacher and a high school teacher, and what I loved most about teaching was the social-emotional conversations. Mm-hmm. So after having gone to school to be a teacher, got my master's in education, I went back to school and got another master's in social work and worked in the Child Protective Services for the County of Santa Cruz, the Family and Children's Services Division, uh, and did that for a few years. And in the last few years, I've shifted into just doing one-on-one and group therapy with and i guess start at ground zero can you tell us a a textbook definition of depression what is depression the way i i think about depression i actually think about depression and anxiety together as two different sides of a coin depression is that worry about the past and anxiety is that worry about the future i think when we get into like the idea of a textbook definition so the dsm-5 which is our diagnostic manual for diagnosing what they're really looking at is the impairments to one's life. So we all have this experience of depression and anxiety. It's actually a really healthy experience and really normal. But where the DSM kicks in and we start kind of labeling people or diagnosing people is, well, what are the impairments it's having in your life? And it might be mild and it might be severe. Yeah. So looking back on things that bother you, that's that's probably normal, but maybe being preoccupied with it and having it, like you say, inhibit what you do, that kind of goes down that road a little bit. Yeah, like how much does that get in the way of your daily living, right? Mm-hmm. So you are preoccupied and focused on the past and the worries of the past. Oh, my life is worthless. I can't believe I didn't do. I should have. I could have. I would have, right? That's Those are those easy indicators for me that there's kind of that flavor of depression going on. No, then, dwelling on the should haves and the could haves, that could, that, that's, a, that's a rough road to go down. Yeah, it's also, it's like really normal. It's like what our brains are wired to do. Because mm-hmm. it helps us make those changes in our lives so that we can be ourselves and do what we want to achieve. But when that becomes our primary focus and we get stuck and we're not able to do things like get out of bed, go to social events, uh, open ourselves to partners, to family members, that's when it starts to get into that category of let's start labeling classic. Yeah. So looking back on the past, learning from the experience, that's a healthy thing. But yeah, if it does pull you back and shut you down a little bit, then it can be an issue. Yeah. Do you find that people um, are able to self-diagnose themselves as like, oh, I I worry 
too much about what could happen. I dwell too much on what has happened. I need help. Or do you feel that there are like family members and friends who are starting to notice these behaviors? I'm kind of curious how, you know, you might encounter a patient or how, you know, someone might think they have depression and just kind of that journey of like discovering it and then being able to treat it. How does that, you know, in your experience, how do you find people come to terms with, with, being diagnosed as having depression? Great question, Joe. I have a secret confession. Can I make a secret confession? Is I am actually like in my heart of hearts, a non-diagnostic clinician, which which means that I actually don't spend a lot of my time or desire really to, to aim for a diagnosis, but I understand the importance and the freedom that people feel when they can put themselves in a category and know that there's a path to treatment and recovery. And what I've seen for my clients and just out in the community and with my own family members is oftentimes we know for ourselves the most, right? The patient is the best practitioner. So that most people have a sense that something's not right, but we're not always taught language for it. And we're not always taught that there's actually like a large number of people who experience what you do. It has a name um, and here's what you can do about it. Um, so I find that most people know something's off and want something to change. Oftentimes they don't know what that is. And so it's really helpful when family members from a compassionate place are able to really reflect kind of what they're noticing and seeing to help guide people into that realization that, oh, I I might not be able to do this on my own. I might need support and help. Did I go off on a whole other? <laughs> no, no, no. I was, no, I was no. waiting for a follow up from Job. No, no. I was, I was taking it in and thinking about it. <laughs> I, I've, I've got something swirling around in my head, just thinking about um, how there's a lot more awareness now around mental health, and it's, it's less of a taboo subject than it used to be. Absolutely. I'm, I'm wondering about. It, it sort of seems now like maybe the word anxiety gets thrown into any conversation as like a blanket statement. And I don't know if that's, I'm just, I guess I'm curious what you think about that. And if you, if you think that, that, that it's almost lessening when people actually are feeling anxious, like if it lessens the mm-hmm. severity of it, or I don't, I'm not quite like articulating what I'm trying to say, but I just think about it a lot because I, I've dealt with anxiety since I was at least 11 And um, I remember growing up, people used to say, can't you just not be anxious? Just try to not be anxious. I'm like, well, that's not really how it works. Um, And then now it just seems like it's a term that people say all the time. Oh, you're just anxious. And it almost makes it seem like it's like people aren't paying as much attention or they're not they're not taking it as seriously when somebody says, oh, I'm struggling with anxiety. So I'm just kind of wondering if you've experienced that or what you think about that. Yeah, good question. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, that's that's a long time also to be trying to grapple with something and have a relationship with it and figure out how to do it. And then when other folks come in and they minimize it and they say it's not a big deal, like, just don't think about the purple elephant. It's like, boom, like, you can't really, it's not that simple, right? Right. Folks that don't often experience it to that magnitude just don't understand. Like, when we don't have that lived experience of certain things, as much as we read about it, or see the painting of the, the pig in the mud, we don't really know what it's like to be a pig. Yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm always going to err on the side of we should talk about things more. It's kind of 
job job security for me. <laughs> uh, so I think the fact that now we have celebrities, we have movements, we have government agencies that are having these awareness months, like last month was suicide prevention awareness, right? So now that we're talking about these things, right, often one of the fears is, well, if I talk about it, then it'll become a bigger problem. But I think what the science and life experience shows us is when we talk about these things, especially in an environment that's safe with people that are caring about us and aren't minimizing or dismissing, things actually get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's been a huge benefit to the dialogue that's going on kind of on social media and everywhere else. There is a little bit of a danger to it. And that's what I hear you describing. Where mm-hmm. People have just used these terms to, as a blanket for everything. Right. And what I experience as a clinician and just in my own life too is when something doesn't have a hard, clear meaning or image or felt sense, then it becomes really euphoric and it makes it really hard to deal with. So, so much of what we get to do in the mental health field with the type of therapy that I practice, internal family systems, is we actually get to like slow down a lot and find that part of ourselves that's giving us anxiety. It's not just this thing that exists in the world. It's this part of us that has some really specific thoughts, feelings, and sensations in our body that's giving us a message for a very good reason with a really good intention. Yeah. When we get to know that and develop a relationship with that, that's when we can start to bring it more in back. So do you find that um, like for someone to have depression or anxiety that uh, some people have like some trauma that they've had and then that's spiraled and become, you know, something much bigger uh, that they carry with them for years. Right. And it it kind of can lead to anxiety and and depression and whatnot. Do you find that um, the number of people that suffer from you know, I, I don't want to throw blanket terms. So but let's just say mental health issues or yeah. stick to depression ha- are dealing with some sort something that happened to them in the past that they're having trouble with, like reconciling now. Or do you feel that some people are just like wired this way, right? They've had a great childhood. Everything was great, but yet they worry, right? And they worry to the point of not being able to get out of bed in the morning or interact with people or be around large groups. So I'm curious, based on your experience, like how the the pool is kind of divided up. Can I do a follow-up for you before you answer that? I was thinking this too. Does that go with the nature versus versus nurture kind of idea about this? Like things that happen versus how are, is it in your DNA? Not to interrupt Joe, but I think it's kind of on the same path. So I have some really good answers for that. But I think what I would want to say before that is there's so much we don't know about the brain. I think more than any other part of the body, like we are just in the infancy of understanding how the brain works. Whereas like with other parts of the body, our Western medical system is very clear about what science looks like and what works and how we heal and treat. We've in some ways tried to apply that to the mind. And it really, in, in, it's kind of unfair for people because we have this thing called the human experience, which is full of suffering and full of trauma. And that's normal and that's to be expected. Um, so to answer your question a little bit more directly, Joe, like, yes, when things happen in our past, especially when we're children, 
or when there are moments in time when we think our life or the people that we love the most is at risk or going to end, that has an impact on us and can carry us through. What we do know is the more social and emotional support you have from a young age, where you're not worried about your basic needs, where the people around you are clear, consistent, and safe, the easier it is to recover from those and go about your life, right? And what you're also saying is what's passed down through our lineage, right? So I can talk about myself. My family, a huge portion of my family died in the Holocaust. And so from that, um, and having my parents be raised in that from, from that lineage, having uh, a lineage of family members that were persecuted and were at, having their life constantly threatened, I can still feel resonance in that, in how I react and how I protect myself, how I get defensive, how I don't trust authority, how when difficult things happen to me, I want to shut down and be safe. Um, so these things can get passed down. And we have science that shows that, that these things can be passed down through our genes. Um, and things also happen that we don't understand. I find the ancestral aspect so interesting. I've heard that talked about before, but it's 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 a really um, it's just a really interesting side of it for how we operate. You know, for those of us that are here now, like what what has happened in our family lineage, and um, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the the earlier question about looking back on the the should have done's and the would have done's. And how it does it inhibit man, there's a song in here somewhere. Um I'm making notes. Um <laughs> so I'm 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 looking back. So I have I'm at the point where I have no parents left. I'm thinking about an incident that happened when I was really young and I was my mother, my late mother, and parents were having a pretty bickering thing going on. And um I remember being really young, this is like an old memory, and it doesn't haunt me, but it came up in this conversation when I was thinking about it. Um, I said, What's wrong with my mom? And someone said, She's depressed. And this is like 50 years ago when I don't think that I don't really think it was depressed. I think they were just trying to like shield me from whatever was going on in the house. But how is, you know, going back several decades, how was depression looked at or labeled or identified or not? And when did it gradually become more of a thing where people are able to like be open with it and, and get help and acknowledge it and realize it? How did that evolve over the last, you know, several decades? Well, I think the main shift that we're seeing is destigmatizing. So, like the, the the light side of the labels and the diagnosis is it destigmatizes. Mm -hmm. It lets people know that you're still you're not broken. Like you're still a good human. There's yeah. actually nothing wrong with you for who you are, but you are suffering from something, um, and there is a pathway to change and having improvements. Um, so I think that's been the major shift that I've seen. Whereas before, I mean, and we're seeing it with substance use as well now, right? Like just the stigma of it, saying that I'm sick and I have this thing and it's treated really different than say when someone gets cancer, right? When someone gets cancer, our community and our society, we wrap around them, we, we give them resources. They are now worthy of getting help. But when people say, oh, I suffer from bipolar, oh, I have schizophrenia, oh, I have depression, I have serious mental illness, there's more of a, a pushing away. And I think that's getting better, um, but I think we still have a long ways to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, when I, I started going to therapy when I was 12, and I remember back then I was getting made fun, made fun of for that. And same in 
um, in high school. And then by the time everyone got to college, all of my friends were struggling with anxiety and depression and then going to therapy. And it was just this instant switch where then they, all of a sudden they got it. And, you know, I'm like, Hey guys, I've been dealing with this for the last 10 years already. Like hop on board. (laughs) And that's just, you know, again, that's been like 20 years. So I've seen a massive shift just over everyone in my community in the last 20 years where People are, yeah, it's been destigmatized and um, people are open to sharing things and then even talking about their sessions with friends and just there seems to be such a stronger um, community around it, at least in my experience in my life. How How is the county responding or what services are out there uh, within the county that kind of people can can look to um, as resources? Because, you know, for for us, um, I told you about my family history is that uh, it took a lot of hunting to find resources. And we didn't find that things were, you know, you could just Google, you know, depression, Santa Cruz, right. And then boom, you're flooded with like resources. It took some, some digging into the County website to unlock some of this stuff. So I'm curious about like what services are out there and um, how to take advantage of them and and whatnot. So curious to hear what you what you know about um, and can share with uh, the folks who are listening. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think your experience, Joe, is what a lot of our community members experience, that access to mental health care is actually in somewhat of a crisis. Uh, our county uh, cares deeply about mental health. We have children's behavioral health services and adult behavioral health services. And our system serves the most vulnerable populations, folks that can't get care other places, folks that have tried to get care other places and um, their needs are more than those places can handle. Um, So those are the services provided through the county. We partner with other agencies, Family Services Agency, and they run our crisis line 988. So if your callers, viewers, listeners don't already know about that, it's somewhat new that when folks are having a mental health crisis, uh, most often, instead of calling 911 now, you can call 988. Uh, It's also their suicide prevention hotline. And if folks are just feeling like they need someone to talk to, um, or if they're in search of resources and they want to start that exploration train, 988 is a great number to call and a great number to have. Only 2% of the calls that go in there actually result in like crisis services being called out. And so it really is there to support our community with navigating their toughest moments. Uh, Youth Services is another great organization in town run through Encompass. Encompass has many mental health programs. Uh, I believe the 8th is uh, National Screening Day for Depression Awareness Month. So just asking your doctor to get screened and letting them, you know, administer the PHQ-9, which is the depression screening scale, uh, or just self-administering. I think one of the beautiful things about the internet now is you don't have to just access resources here in Santa Cruz County, that you can access resources and support groups and meetings across the country and world. Um, Santa Cruz does have great support systems in place and great resources, but oftentimes it doesn't work for everyone's schedule, identity, 
and needs, and there's just a lot out there. So I hope that provides yep. like a starting place, like a trailhead. Yep. And so for calling nine eight eight, um, is that like let's say I'm roaming around somewhere and I see someone having an episode or someone you know looking like they're about to do something very bad to themselves or to someone around can, can i as a third party call 988 like well you can 911 right like if i witness an accident i can call on behalf of an injured party so does that work for 988 as well or is it like more of a, a self-service um option more of a self-service option um, we do have a mobile emergency response team at the county. Uh, potentially, that could be an option. I think in the situation you're describing, it seems like a 911 call might make sense if the person is in eminent, like really close to hurting themselves or someone else, like law enforcement is who to call. What we do now have in our county, um, both in the city of Santa Cruz, down in Watsonville and with the Sheriff's Department, and I believe some other municipalities are mental health liaisons that travel with law enforcement. So when people are having mental health episodes, what we've learned is they're not criminals. I, like they're, 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 not, they're, they're not trying uh, to break the law and law enforcement isn't always what's needed. Uh, what's needed is trained mental health professionals. So we have mental health liaisons that partner with law enforcement and respond to some 911 calls, potentially like the one you're describing. Talking about awareness, too, I was thinking a few years back, I had a really good friend, a fellow songwriter pal, and every once in a while, this is about awareness on my own part, every once in a while, he would just, I, would, I wouldn't see him on social media, he wouldn't respond to texts, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's all right, or I was thinking health-wise, and then, you know, months down the line, I go, what's up? He goes, oh, I... I, I suffer depression and once in a while I just go a little dark and then I come back and it wasn't anything like self hurting. He's just like, there's just times where I just have to kind of go retreat. And that's how he, and he was, it was a very, for him, it was a very healthy approach. He was able to deal with that. I'm like, Oh, and I have another good friend um, who want, I kind of had the same behavior. And finally he told me, yeah, I just, I have a little depression. And sometimes when I, when it flares up, I just kind of retreat and then I come back when I'm okay. And, and I went, Oh, and I, then I understood what their behavior was, and it, it wasn't a judgment. I'm like, oh, I love you, and now I understand why you do this. It was that, and it was more, no more than that. Do you? So I think I think awareness of people that have it and understanding it, and just kind of giving them the space they need is probably somewhere in this conversation as well. Yeah, it's it's such a tricky line to walk. Like when I yeah. appreciate that they trust you enough to let to let you know what was going on with them. I think what I hear from a lot of people is the shame that they carry from retreating that deeply into themselves yeah or to then be open with people about um, what i often will hear from folks especially family members is how do i help this person that's suffering with depression i keep telling them go get therapy i keep telling them to right. do a lot of times what i'll start to support family members and allies with is like shifting our expectations and really shifting how we communicate what it is that we're trying to do. And mm -hmm. what I was kind of hearing you say, Michael, that you did a really good job with was just letting them know that you care. Yeah. Right? That even when folks are at their lowest, even when they're holding the deepest, deepest disregard for themselves, which is often what's happening. Mm -hmm. And what folks are often not wanting to do is like take that 
darkness that they're feeling and bring it around other people. It's their mm-hmm. gesture of actually trying to protect others from having their energy and their stuff impede on other people. What I will often hear people say is, I don't want to put this on others. It's actually that's actually the way I took it. And in fact, I told them both. I, I, I mean, this has been a few years, but I said, you know, now I understand if, if you know if I'm texting you and you're in that space, just know I'm thinking about you. Reach out if you need to, but if you don't, I understand. Just you know. So that's that's really the guidance is like let people know you care about them. Let them know you're available. Let them mm-hmm. know right that you are in a non-judgmental space and you'll be compassionate you're not going to tell them to go see a therapist you're not going to go tell them that they need to do a b and c they need to be on medication that you're there to listen and support them and what naturally happens when people feel that openness that lack of judgment that compassion they start asking right that's when people will say things like i don't know what to do about this what do you Mm -hmm. think i could do and those are the openings in the doorways to saying you know, have you talked to someone about it? Right. Lost for help. Like, how's your exercise going? How are you doing with like your basic needs? Right. The, mm-hmm. the holistic way of approaching depression and therapy and medication and treatment is just one little important piece, but there's so many other elements that contribute to being in such a deep state of depression. I think it's it's tricky when um when you realize as, as the friend or the family member that people aren't going to get help unless they want to. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I've, I've had this experience with a lot of people in my life where they just want to complain over and over about something and, um, and aren't necessarily willing to change anything to get better or know that they want to talk to somebody, but, you know, come up with a million reasons why they don't have the time to do it now. Or they can't start it now. And I think that's, a really difficult position to be in as the friend or family member, because, you know, being a, on the outside perspective, you can look at them and look at their scenario and just think it would really be easier for you if you would just go talk to somebody and start working through this. But so much of it is respecting that you can't make somebody do something unless they're willing to confront whatever it is they're dealing with and, and make the, you know, changes that they need to go through. It's hard. Yeah. And, and what I have experienced myself, and then what I see for a lot of other people is what you're describing, is almost intolerable for people. It's almost intolerable to watch someone that you love and care about, where you know, like, go go see a therapist, like, restart your medication. Like, I've seen you feeling better. Like, I know you could do it. That, like, frustration that you have to sit with because folks aren't at that place where they're ready to make a change um, or they're able to is really a difficult place to sit and to be. And really that's when like our work as a community is right, taking away the stigma, taking away the shame, letting people know that they matter, that we care about them. And when they're ready, the support is there and they'll be there without judgment. I think that's a lot of what we're working towards. I was thinking about these two individuals. I knew them well enough to know that when they were in that state, I knew they weren't self-medicating. So I wasn't worried about them. That's probably another issue you probably deal with sometimes in your day-to-day, I would, I would assume too. Just like the idea that folks start to self-medicate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I have a deep appreciation for it. Like this is people trying to figure out how to feel better, right? I, right. I, I definitely see like the use of substances, the use of food, even the use of exercise, mm-hmm. the use of relationships and intimacy and sex. Like these aren't, ways that we're trying to hurt ourselves these are often ways that we're trying to find relief from the suffering that we're right um, 
and the challenge with a lot of those things is it's a slippery slope that you start using them to feel better for 15 minutes, an hour, a couple of days, and then other aspects kick in. So then it becomes dependence and then we've figured out a way to feel better and it leads to other behaviors and ways of being that then we start shaming ourselves about that are un- unhealthy or dangerous. It, because it's National Depression Awareness Month and, you know, what we're, what we're just talking about is people who are self-medicating or, you know, need therapy, but are refusing, you know, what for, for the people listening, like what are like three or five things or reasons why people who think they're suffering with anxiety and depression or mental health should seek like treatment from a therapist or from, from someone in the medical field, because I think er, er, these people who probably know in the back of their minds, something's, something's not right. Um, like Emily's friends who are just constantly complaining about like, Oh, I think I have this. It's like, well, it'd be a lot easier if you spoke to somebody and, you know, like as, as a therapist, like what, what would you say are like the, the top reasons why someone who is resisting going down this route should reconsider I'm of a couple minds about this, to be honest, Joe. Like, I don't know that there's a should, right? Like, I don't know that if folks are struggling with anxiety and depression, that they sh- that they necessarily should have to feel like they should be doing something different. I guess I would start to get curious about what's working for them right now and what's not working and what would they like to be different. And the answer might not be therapy. It might be, it might be a yoga studio. It might be a daily walk. It might be reconnecting with family members that they've been disconnected with. Um, I think there's a whole long list of things that bring people back into the present moment uh, that help them feel more connected with themselves and with others. And therapy, medication, professional support is one thing. Um, If folks have tried a bunch of other things and they know I, I need to eat better. I need to be getting better sleep. I should be drinking less. I should, um, I want to talk with my brother or my sister, but I, I just can't bring myself to do it, but I know I want to. If folks are feeling that they're stuck and they've been trying a lot of things, then get curious about talking to a professional who does this every day with a lot of different people and just know that you're not alone. Like you're not alone in this struggle. Like this is the human experience. This is, what we're doing and we're trying to figure it out and there's a wide range of therapists out there that offer a wide range of types of therapy and it's okay to try out different therapists it's okay to tell your therapist this is not helpful this is not working be honest that's your time and space to tell them exactly what's going on if that person doesn't work for you let them know and go find someone else um, and try different things. Uh, I My recommendation would be try different things slowly and give things a chance, right? So the type of change that we're often talking about, and I think I appreciate Emily was sharing this, is that it can often have been going on since you were 11 or even younger. And so our expectations of ourselves and others that are helping us should be moderated a little bit, that these changes aren't going to happen overnight. That if what we're really wanting is like lifestyle behavioral changes, these things can take time. Uh, If folks are curious about mechanisms or ways of like kind of 
going deeper and finding other avenues of change. Like our society and culture is opening up to psychedelic interventions as well. So that's like another avenue that's opening up that people can use. You know, ketamine assisted therapy is something that exists in our community and has helped people with treatment resistant depression. Um, see what life is like not being depressed. And we're seeing it work. Uh, there's some other challenges with that intervention, but it, it does work for some people. And then there's a whole laundry list of other things that are kind of impacting as well. So get curious, start asking questions, and then put yourself out there to the best of your ability. There isn't a, a recipe for curing depression. There's too many factors involved in you know, what, what the underlying issues might be, right? Like you said, like, oh, well, let's, first of all, let, let's just get outside, right? <laughs> let's move and, and be, you know, and find, find something that, that occupies, brings you joy, right? And, and go through that. Or, you know, if you find like, well, I've tried working out in yoga and nature and, you know, painting and whatever, it's like still there, you know, then, okay, well, if you can't, find things on your own to help you push through this um, or deal with it, then maybe talking to somebody, you know, who can help you unlock what might be causing, you know, you to feel the way you're feeling. Um, and I know some people who, you know, in my life who could use therapy and I know they're holding on to some grudge from days gone by and they hold this animosity and that they, don't want to let go of it or don't know how to let go of it and, and move on from it, you know, and we've, you know, we've dropped hints, like maybe you should talk to somebody. It's like, never, you know, it's like, well, if you're really holding on to this thing, you know, like, you know what the problem is, like, let's just shake it off, you know, like right. talk to somebody and they, they, they just, they, they cannot, because it's like, at this point, it's like part of their brand, right? Like, and it's frustrating as someone who's there witnessing it. Like, why can't, you know, you obviously can't let go of this on your own, right? Or you don't want to let go of it, but- um, It's become part of who you are at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. I'm thinking of so many people, no judgment, but they go back to like this thing that happened with, and it's it's it, it comes up in conversation all the time. And I think, oh, this is, you're really kind of preoccupied with this, aren't you? And it's really obviously limiting you a little bit. But okay. No judgment for me. I just kind of feel bad, you know, yeah. seeing that. Yeah. And where I would add to that would be what I often experience with people is that they're holding on to it for a good reason. But there's something about that experience. There's something about that moment in time that was really important for them. And it often serves as a way of protecting other more vulnerable parts of themselves. Uh -huh. And it may be out of balance and it may not be easily digestible to those around them, but it's the way that they've figured out uh, how to cope, how to be with their human experience. Yeah. And, and I, well, I, I use the word brand, Joe, and I think there's some truth to that. And I think it's one of the cultural messages that I see that we're given in this country, which is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be really strong and be really independent. Asking for help is a sign of weakness. That these are explicit and implicit messages that we all receive 
That um, still happens, yeah. Yeah, and these messages inherently are counter to asking for help, right? And asking for help, from my perspective, is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Um, but it's really hard to unweave and untangle those messages about what it means to be successful or a good person. So sometimes for someone to say really strongly, like, I'm not going to therapy is their way of saying, like, I can do this. I'm still capable of running my own life. Things haven't fallen apart totally. And I respect that. I respect how hard they're working to try to keep their life on. Let's spend a few minutes talking about, okay, Depression Awareness Month is coming up. Um, what we, we touched on this a little bit about like what services Santa Cruz County has to offer, but, uh, if, if there's anything you want to like share with the folks listening and us about like, again, hammer in what, what's available in Santa Cruz for people. And then maybe what my, what, what you guys are doing in terms of like the awareness month. Sure. Um, so October 8th is national depression screening day. I'd encourage everyone to think that you may have symptoms of depression, talk to your primary care physician, get screened, uh, 988, it's 24 seven, 365 days a week, crisis uh, services, uh, suicide prevention, those are kind of the big things. We just came off a pretty big event um, Santa Cruz County out of the darkness walk, which was held on September 30th. So it just passed. Um, and that was where our behavioral health team uh, represented the county and helped raise funds for suicide prevention. Uh, we don't have anything specific that I'm aware of planned for depression awareness month, but I think what we're seeing our county shift to, what I'm hearing from our county supervisors, what I'm seeing from our county leadership is an awareness that mental health is needed in this county, that our resources aren't adequate enough at this time to support uh, high quality mental health clinicians with working in this county and more resources. Are needed. So I, I know that there was a lot of advocacy efforts out there so that more services are available. Our mobile emergency response teams are growing, uh, we're hiring. So if folks are looking for work uh, and you're a mental health professional, Definitely go to the county behavioral health website, county employment website, and learn more. The self-screening that you were talking about, or the screening that's on October 8th, is there, does that have to be done in office? Is there like, can someone go to a website and then do it anonymously? Because there is, like you said, there's the shame of, I don't want to be, put myself out there like for this potential, you know, thing I'm struggling with, even in front of their primary care physician, right? So maybe they can get that initial self-service, you know, self-diagnosis online and then be like, oh, well, maybe I need to have a conversation because I, I I check the boxes. Yeah, it, it's a really user-friendly tool. It's called the Patient Health Questionnaire, uh, PHQ-9. And it's just a series of like nine questions that you rank from a spectrum of zero, not at all, to three nearly every day. There's some options in between. And it really kind of gives you a snapshot at the things that maybe a mental health professional would be looking at to see like how serious is this? Um, and like, it's not necessary 
to need to know, it's not necessary to have a clear diagnosis to ask for help. Right? A skilled and talented clinician, if you walk into their office and you tell them, things aren't working for me, I'm struggling, getting the right diagnosis isn't the primary focus of the work. It may be an element of the work that helps create some clarity and a path towards recovery, but it's not the most important piece of the work. So if you are feeling like you just want support and aren't really sure exactly what's going on, then that's a totally okay reason uh, to walk into your doctor's office or your mental health clinician's office. But the, the tools online are also give us a lot of insight into what is going on for us and help us ask questions about the choices that we're making and the things that are happening to us. I just want to give a shout out to all my past and current therapists and, uh, you know, just say thank you to all the mental health professionals that are out there. They're doing hard work and I, for one, appreciate it. <laughs> well, I guess on that note, I'd like to give a shout out to all my past future and everyone out there that has the courage to go to therapy to be vulnerable to ask themselves the hard question yeah I yeah i wanted to throw in this fits somewhere i was going to say it earlier but i think and you 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 talked about it but i think you know looking at depression it's not like if i have a sore throat i take this on antibiotic and it's cured if i have if i cut myself badly I, I i put on some neosporin or i get stitches that's pretty black and white depression is like you say you go in talk do the work maybe you try some positive things to do alternatively it's it's a it's a process it's not just a quick fix and i think that's a really good thing that you stressed in this in this visit today and i really appreciate it yeah. and a work in progress yes yeah. yeah yeah there's not always like a finish line but there's the idea that we're moving towards where we want to go. Thank you for your time, Jim. This was really, really valuable. And I, I really appreciated the time that you took with us. Yeah, I really appreciate that y'all are doing this and putting the word out there and helping to destigmatize depression. Well, thank you again to Jeremy for your time and for you for listening as well. And if you need to learn more about what we were talking to Jeremy about, or if you know somebody who's in crisis or might need to talk to somebody, you can call 988. You can also go on the web at 988lifeline.org. And with that, coming up on the next episode of the Area 831 podcast, we'll be talking to children's book author Megan Wood about her Farm Day Adventures series. I met her when I was playing uh, down in Marina, and she was she had her books on display, and I was I was playing music and really liked her story and how she got into writing these children's books. And you'll find out in the next episode. And as always, you can find us at area831podcast.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. You'll find us. Thanks for your time.